a time of so much information, but so little understanding. A time of so many opinions, but so little truth. We need wisdom. God loves when we seek it. God gives when we seek it. Hey, I'm so glad you're with us today. At Central Heights, we've been going through the book of Proverbs and discovered that it has so much to say about all areas of life, which should tell us something, that all of your life matters to God. And it shouldn't surprise us then that God would have something to say about an area of our life where most of us are currently spending a most significant part of our life or have spent a most significant part of our life or will spend a most significant part of our life. I'm talking about the subject of Work. Work. What comes to your mind when you hear that word? Are you thinking, Tim, I'm on holidays and you had to bring that subject up? Does work bring you joy or when you think of work, is it a necessary evil? You should know today that Proverbs speaks in praise of work. And here's just a few verses to illustrate that. A slack hand causes poverty, but the hand of the diligent makes rich. Proverbs 12, 11, whoever works his land will have plenty of bread, but he who follows worthless pursuits lacks sense. Proverbs 14, in all toil there is profit, but mere talk tends only to poverty. The sluggard does not plow in the autumn. He will seek at harvest and have nothing. Proverbs 22, do you see a man skillful in his work? He will stand before kings. He will not stand before obscure men. Now, the writer of Proverbs would have been very familiar with the Torah, the first five books of the Bible, and his understanding of work would have been founded on what's there, especially in the first book of Genesis. If you want to know what something's all about, you go to the beginning. And in Genesis, we find that God works. Genesis 1 begins with the earth without form and void, darkness covering the face of the deep. And God gets to work. He creates light. He speaks light into existence. He creates land. Uh, he gathers the waters. He creates the sun, the moon, the stars. Uh, he speaks animals into existence, the sea creatures, animals on land. And lastly, he makes man. And then in Genesis chapter 2, it says, And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done. And he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. God works. And then God rests. And God's work gives meaning to his rest. Throughout the process of God working in creation, he's able to observe the handiwork of his work, and it brings him joy, work, satisfaction, delight. God works, man works. We read also in Genesis chapter 1 these words, So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds of the air and over every living creature that moves on the ground. God works. He makes man in his image. And so he gives a work to man. Man is to take dominion. He's to rule over creation. He's to steward the materials and, and the creatures that God has given to him. And he's to build. He's to expand. He's to develop it. And this is to give him joy. 
So work begins with an intrinsic value. It has intention, meaning, purpose. It's work because work is given by God. It's connected to God. And work is for God, for his glory. But most of you know the story. In Genesis chapter 3, we experience what is called the fall. And the fall affects everything. And so there, man rebels against God. And because of that, man's work is cursed. We read in Genesis 3, To Adam he said, Because you listened to your wife and ate from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil you will eat of it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you. So because of man's rebellion and because the land becomes cursed, he's going to experience thorns and thistles. In other words, there's going to be frustration. There's going to be difficulty. Work will not go as we want. And so I think this is helpful in our perspective of work today. We will never have a job that's 100% perfect. We'll never be working where everything goes 100% perfectly right. There will always be a mixture and some frustration that we're going to experience. But the story doesn't end in the fall. You see, God never stops working. And then he works in a big way to redeem mankind, to get him back into right relationship with God. He does that through the work of his son. So God works. Man works. Then Jesus, who is fully God, fully man also works. It's amazing when you think about the life of Jesus. Jesus worked for many years in a physical trade. So he was born to a carpenter. He was considered to be a carpenter's son. And in that day, sons do what their fathers do. So it's not unreasonable to think that for year after year after year, when Jesus was perhaps 12, 13, 15, 18, 20 25, 27, 28, he is working year after year as a carpenter, developing his skill as a carpenter, learning from his trade as a carpenter. In fact, when Jesus began his teaching ministry and gathered disciples to himself, people rejected him because he was a carpenter. If we read that in Mark chapter 6, where it says, Is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary and brother of James and Joseph? Joseph and Judas and Simon, and are not his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. Well, when Jesus um, continued his ministry, his teaching ministry, he invested in his disciples. And when his ministry was to come to an end, he said this just before Jesus went to the cross in John chapter 17. I glorified you on earth, speaking to the Father, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And so in his last act of obedience to the Father, Jesus willingly embraces the cross, and through his death and then his resurrection, Jesus makes it possible for those who are disconnected from God because of Adam to now be reconnected to God, so that those who are in Jesus Christ now, we now have an intention and a purpose, a meaning to our work, again, that is to glorify God. And God empowers us through his Holy Spirit in this new relationship with God and enables us to work for his honor and glory so that the Apostle Paul will write to the church in Colossae these words. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. So connected to Christ now, our work becomes something that also has a future component to it. Paul mentions the fact that we'll be rewarded for the work that we do now. But there's something else that is futuristic to our work. We are anticipating a day when work will not be done away with, but the curse will be done away with. 
and work will then exist as it was intended to be, perfectly good. I remember when I first had a conversation with one of my daughters and I told her that we'll be working in heaven. She said, no, no. She said, that's depressing. But you see, it's depressing to us because we're thinking of work with all the implications of the fall involved in it. No, there's going to be a day where the materials we are working with are from the new heaven and the new earth. There will be no thorns and thistles, but work will be what it was meant to be, completely good. Isaiah pictures a day in the future, the future age, where he says in Isaiah chapter 2, he will judge between the nations and will settle disputes for many people, speaking of God. They will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not take up sword against nation, nor will they train for war anymore. Do you see what Isaiah pictures? He pictures that the instruments of war will be transformed, but not into harps. They'll be transformed into instruments of work because we're going to be doing good work, work that brings joy and delight, that has meaning and fulfillment in the life to come. That's the big picture. Our work was given by God. It's to be connected to God. It's for God in the present and in the future. In that light, let's let the Proverbs we're looking at today speak into how we can do that work well. It begins with a simple phrase, work hard. Proverbs 10.4 says this, a slack hand causes poverty, but the hand of the diligent makes rich. Proverbs 12.11, whoever works his land will have plenty of bread, but he who follows worthless pursuits lacks sense. Now, one of the things that the, the writer of Proverbs sprinkles throughout the book is the fact that hard work is to be valued. It's to be praised. In Proverbs chapter 10, he uses the word diligence. When you look at the synonyms for that word, you get all kinds of ways that help us to understand how we can work in a way that's wise, industrious, hardworking, assiduous, conscientious, particular, punctilious, meticulous, painstaking, rigorous, exacting, careful, thorough, attentive, heedful, intent, earnest, studious, constant, persevering, persistent, tenacious, zealous, dedicated, committed, driven, active, busy. And I think Paul would add the word heartily. Does this describe the way you work? If we would be wise, this will be the ethic of our work and how we do it. Now, Proverbs often uses the idea of parallelism to illustrate a truth in a more clear way. In other words, a truth will be stated, and in this case, an opposite, so that we have a fuller understanding of what we're to get. So in this, we are told there's a wrong way to work, and that is with a slack hand. A slack hand is to be like, I don't know, careless, uh, unconscientious, negligent even, and a slack hand leads to poverty, the writer says. So you have a, a carpenter who really is negligent in his work and cuts corners, and he wonders why he always gets callbacks which cost him money, and his business never grows. A salesperson who overpromises but underdelivers wonders why, wonders why she never gets referrals and her business doesn't grow. The employee who regularly shows up late for work, and when he's at work, not really invested, basically only does the minimum, never does anything with excellence, and then wonders why he never gets promoted and or is the first one to be laid off in a crisis like COVID-19. A slack hand leads to poverty. There are consequences to the way that we work. 
Proverbs 12, 11 uh, says, he who follows worthless pursuits lacks sense. I love the way the King James puts it. He that followeth vain persons is void of understanding. It's almost like he's speaking about social media as a distraction. In 2016, the Inc. magazine, um, they did an article on the Bureau of Labor Statistics. They had followed about 2,000 office workers to look at their work habits and how that went. They discovered they worked about 8.8 hours a day for their work week. But the interesting thing was how many hours were wasted in that time they spent at the office. And the top three were these. Reading news websites, on the average, about 65 minutes. Checking social media, on average, 44 minutes. Discussing non-work-related things with coworkers, 40 minutes. Do the math. You can see that there's like two and a half hours that are being wasted in a workday, and that's just the top three. And beyond that, to know that it takes time after you've engaged in a distraction to re-engage the mind to come to a place where you're productive and fruitful. Proverbs 24 says this, I passed by the field of a sluggard, by the vineyard of a man lacking sense, and behold, it was all overgrown with thorns. The ground was covered with nettles, and its stone wall was broken down. Then I saw and I considered it. I looked and received instruction. A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest. And poverty will come upon you like a robber and want like an armed man. Proverbs would want to warn us about the little decisions that we make every day, the, the little distractions, and when it comes to our work, how that can steal away the, the effectiveness and productiveness of the work that we are called and given to do. Let's go back to the first two Proverbs we read again today. A slack hand causes poverty, but the hand of the diligent makes rich. Whoever works his land will have plenty of bread, but he who follows worthless pursuits lacks sense. Know the implications of working wisely, working hard, working diligently. The writer talks about the fact that we'll have wealth or, or riches. So you might be asking the question like, Tim, are you into this like health wealth thing? Are you saying that God wants us to be rich? Well, when you read Proverbs, you've got to understand that Proverbs are truth statements that are generally true. And they're touching on a certain subject, but you need to read the whole book of Proverbs so you get the whole counsel, like the whole collection of wisdom, because they often bring another perspective into one little proverb that is stated. And so it is uh, in so many areas. I mean, we could talk about, when we talk about the need to work hard, you also need to rest. And so that's an important component that we're not addressing today. When we talk about working hard, we're not saying that it's all up to you, that God isn't involved and his sovereignty isn't there and his empowerment of the Holy Spirit isn't there. And when we're talking about wealth, if you have the perspective that wealth is the goal, that we're to achieve wealth, go for it, and you know all the choices and, and uh, luxuries that it will give to us, Proverbs says you would be a fool to do that if you read other Proverbs. The kind of wealth that Proverbs is ad advocating for is that we would be able to, in our diligent work, to come to a place where, first of all, we have enough to supply the needs for our own lives. The New Testament also speaks in support of this. We read in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, as he's speaking to the church there, and to aspire to live quietly and to mind your own affairs and to work with your hands as we instructed you so that you may live properly before outsiders, let's remember that line, live properly before outsiders and be dependent 
on no one. The early church took this so seriously that if someone was idle and didn't want to work, these were their words. Now we command you, brothers, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you keep away from any brother who is walking in idleness and not in accord with the tradition that you received from us. So Proverbs is giving us wisdom to say that we want to, we want to come to a place, if at all possible, put ourselves in a place where we don't have to depend on anyone. We can provide for our own needs. And with abundance, we will also be able to be generous to others. Wealth is not for hoarding. Wealth is to give and to bless others. And so we read Proverbs 11, verse 24. One gives freely, yet grows all the richer. Another withholds what he should give and only suffers want. Whoever brings blessing will be enriched, and one who waters will himself be watered. We hear the same things echoed in the New Testament, Ephesians chapter 4. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, let him work, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. In praise of hard work so that we can provide for ourselves and also have the place, be in the place, the ability with the abundance that we have to serve and to give to others. David Hubbard in his book, Commentary on Proverbs, said this, hard work ought to be the normal routine of us who serve a carpenter Christ, who follow the lead of a tent maker apostle, and who call ourselves children of a father who is still working. We should work hard, pursuing excellence. Let's look at another verse in Proverbs, Proverbs chapter 22. Do you see a man skillful in his work? He will stand before kings. He will not stand before obscure men. A couple of weeks ago, we talked about lifelong learning. And what this Proverbs does is it it puts out a saying to us to, to compel us towards learning and developing our work to the place of excellency. To stand before a king, if you had a trade, you were a tradesman, and you were called up to the royal house to work for him because what you did was so good, so esteemed, they could have hired anybody to do it, but they chose you, that's an amazing honor. The proverb is trying to get us to think, what is my work? And how can I be that person? How can I be that person who's so skillful at what I do that it's in great demand? When my work is given by God, when it's connected to God, when it's for God, how can I be the best that I can be to do the best that I can do for his glory? This is the message of Proverbs. So we take what we know and we grow in it and we develop it. And and it's our desire to become more and more skillful, not just so we can have heaps of praises on ourselves, but so that we can point people to the one whom we are serving, the Lord Jesus Christ. So how do we do that? Well, we embrace the process and we learn. For some of us, that might be to go and and go to a place of higher education. But that is costly. Our workplace can be a learning environment for every one of us if our attitude is in the right place. You see, when we are working, we are in a place where we can learn endurance sometimes because of the frustrations, because of the mixture introduced by the fall. We learn endurance. We learn patience. We learn how to handle failure and to be forgiving. We also learn about ourselves. We learn about what we're good at, what we're not good at, what we should definitely stay away from for the benefit of others. And we learn about what we have passions for, what we like, what we desire. This is an education that's being paid for by your boss, whether good or bad. So embrace it. 
learn, grow, develop. You'll stand before kings, Proverbs says. Over time, as you, as you grow and develop your skill, you'll find your place. God will lead you to places where you have influence. This is how it works in our world, right or wrong. But when somebody's really good at something, people want to listen to what they have to say. And your life, through your work, can become a platform in which to proclaim Jesus Christ. Now, to be like a proverb, let me set beside this truth uh, an opposite, um, which has become true in my own life. I love to play golf, and sometimes when I'm traveling on vacation, I'm by myself, so I join a, a threesome, because golf is played in foursomes, in case you didn't know that. So I join a threesome. I don't know any of these guys. If I could play really well, I'm sure I'd have their ear. But the problem has been lately, my golf game is getting worse and worse, that I'm actually embarrassed, and I think it's a bad witness. On the flip side to that, God is saying, if, if we're skillful in our, in our work, it's going to put us in places that are almost unbelievable. So learn, develop, set your sights high. Be willing to invest the time. It doesn't happen overnight. Find out what you're good at, what God has called you to, what, what he's put you on this earth to do, and then do it with all your heart unto him, pursuing excellence. Work hard pursuing that. Now, before we finish today, I just think it's really important for us to talk about one aspect of work. Don't confuse the work that Proverbs is advocating here and that we're talking about with the work that the Bible is against. A work that says, I've got to do certain things in order to receive favor with God. That my work will somehow obligate God's goodness towards me. The Bible is completely against that. It, it, it's, there's just no way you can work your way to earn God's approval, that you can work your way to a right relationship with him. It's like you and I trying to swim from Vancouver to Japan. I mean, you might be able to swim farther than I can, but we are both destined to fail. No, the work that God's talking about that is wrong is something that is trying to earn his righteousness. When that has been accomplished through the work of Jesus Christ, you simply need to embrace it, and that is called grace. But grace is not opposed to effort, it's opposed to earning. Those are the famous words written by Dallas Willard, philosopher, Christian author. You see, grace drinks in the, the help of God. It doesn't stop working. Because it is working, we need that grace. And so you see in the New Testament how those that work hard are commended, and those that work in ministry uh, with the Apostle Paul are called fellow workers. As Paul's uh, doing his greetings and salutations in Romans chapter 16, hear some of these words as he speaks to those who have been in the ministry with him. Greet Prissa and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus, who risked their necks for my life, to whom not only I give thanks, but all the churches of the Gentiles give thanks as well. Greet also the church in their house. Greet my beloved Apennetus, who was the first convert to Christ in Asia. Now hear this. Greet Mary, who has worked hard for you. Paul commends others for their hard work. Grace is not opposed to effort. It's opposed to earning. And in the grace of God, knowing that our work is given by God, that it's connected to God through Jesus Christ, empowered by his Holy Spirit, that it's for God and for his glory, we work. We work hard and we work with excellence. When my daughter was at university here at UFV, she came home with this saying from a professor she really uh, highly esteemed. It was, how you do anything is how you do everything. 
I think it's a real, a great sort of connection to what we're talking about today. That connected to God, for God, our work becomes something, not just our physical work and our jobs, but everything we do becomes something that we do for the glory of God. This is what Paul is saying in Colossians chapter 3, and I want to read it to us again. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. Whatever you do. So we've been talking about work, your job, whether you're an employer or employee, we need to do that well. But we have other roles as well. And you may even be unemployed right now, but you can still do things. You can volunteer. You can, you know, we, we, can, we find ourselves in roles in family, parents, grandparents, brothers, sisters, aunts, uncles. We may have a role in the church just serving as a volunteer in a not-for-profit organization. Whatever we do, Paul says, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. Work hard, pursuing excellence, so that it can be said of us these words. How you do anything is a reflection, a glorious reflection of how you view Christ. Let me pray for us. God, I thank you for the revelation of your word in the Old Testament and in the New. I thank you, Lord, that you've not left us to our own devices, but you've imparted to us wisdom how to live and do life well. And Lord, you know that for many of us, we spend the majority of our waking hours in work, at work, doing work, And we just ask today, Lord, that you would empower us by your Holy Spirit to work as unto you. May you remind us of that often. May you help us to develop our work so that we can um, be excellent in what we do and grow in that excellency as pointing to you and to your glory, who is the most excellent of all. I ask, Lord, for the empowerment and the help of your Holy Spirit as you work in your sovereignty, Lord, to bring glory and honor to your name through us. Amen.